Have you been stressed, anxious, or worried? Have you felt pangs of loneliness in recent times? Are you longing for greater connection with others in the world around you? In a phrase, are you looking for happiness? You are not alone. Millions of others are seeking this feeling of spiritual, mental, and physical wellness too. This podcast explores the underlying causes of unhappiness and shares with us the secrets of rewriting the frequent thoughts and redirecting the common behaviors that keep us in that state. Join forensic psychologist and best-selling author Dr. Nihal and her guests as they dive deep in the realm of psychological wellness and explore ways of finding happiness on demand. Well, listeners, hi everyone. It's Joan Nihal again on our podcast, Happiness on Demand. I'm so excited to share with you today my recent find. I met this woman, Denise Bakley, at the Evolution of Psychotherapy just a couple of months ago, and I was so impressed with her sense of humor, her knowledge, and her delivery. So I guess we're in for a treat, but let me give you a little bit of the lowdown on who she is. Denise Bakley, MSc, is the founder of Bakley Consulting, She's an Associate Director of Crisis and Justice Systems at Banner University Health Plan. Plus, she works part-time as a crisis intervention specialist for the Chandler Fire Department in Arizona. She serves as an adjunct faculty for the Office of the Courts of Arizona Probation and Crisis Intervention Team. She's also a faculty associate at the Arizona State University School in the Faculty of Social Work. Now, her course catalog is amazing. I recommend that you all peek at it because I did, and I was so impressed. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Her course catalog spans motivational interviewing, training listeners, leadership series, to verbal de-escalation during crisis intervention. Now, isn't that amazing? So without further ado, Denise, let me pass the spotlight on you. Welcome. Thank you so much. We need more people like Dr. Nihal. So thank you so much. <laughs> um, I'm just excited to be here. And, and when I met, uh, you know, Dr. Joan in LA, it was an immediate connection. I feel she makes you feel really at ease. So I appreciate that. Um, and I'm just excited to be to be here and chatting with your audience. So I, I know I've got things in my head, but I don't know if you want to start us off or this is my first podcast. So I'm excited to. Fabulous. Uh, We're talking about happiness, Denise, and just to jump right in, I thought I would ask you your spin on happiness, given what you're doing with the fire department elsewhere. And listeners, let me tell you a little bit of gossip. This woman was also teaching in Ghana. So go figure, right? She's got a lot to tell us. So let me be quiet and ask her to talk. Um, yes, I had an amazing 2023 and got to go over to South Africa in March and Ghana in May. And yeah, yeah it's, it, I will, I will talk about that. So for me, I, I think working with being a first responder and working with other first responders, I I've been teaching, uh, under that umbrella of public safety since 2004, I started out teaching crisis intervention teams, um, and then I got into teaching firefighters in 2014. And it's a different, it's a little bit different, right? A lot of times we just kind of look under that umbrella of public safety, and but you have to tweak and change the way you teach um, to engage your audience, as, as you know. Um, 
And I think one of the things though, that I found is commonalities is that they do take a lot. They, they don't necessarily, I think now there's more awareness, but back then uh, there wasn't as much awareness about compassion fatigue and what they were taking on. And it's a occupational hazard. And so, you know, the, the combat to that is living a life that you love out, outside of your job. And so I really do try to strive myself even to practice positivity and live with intention. So what do I do each day with intention? Um, and I find that that helps me uh, stay positive myself. And then I can, it's, it's that old adage of putting the mask on yourself so you can help others. And, and that's how I can help you know, other people connect with resources. Um, you know, I'm not doing direct therapy. Uh, I'm, I'm in a different role. And so I get, you know, I find people like yourself for them to go and connect with and get, get the proper help that they need and deserve. So, so you just hit on a chord with me, my Vegas nerve, if you will. Uh, I, when you talked about compassion fatigue, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with that? Because there's also something in the research that's talking about empathic distress. Mm -hmm. Experience that, that blah feeling that people are feeling today. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I was just watching, you know, uh, I've watched, become a fan of yours and watching your uh, podcast and your different uh, interviews that you've had. And I think it's a, you know, we have this real low, it's a 50 year low of, of people being unhappy. And yeah. so how do we reconnect people with that? Right. How do you get some excitement? And so that's part of it is when I talk about compassion fatigue, it's under that umbrella, under that umbrella is burnout is vicarious trauma is secondary trauma is, you know, everything in the new, like your new terminology, right? When you think about, it's all the same thing, but it's how is that person absorbing it? And so I really think it's like, we're new elastic bands when we, you know, start out in our, in our field. And over time you can stretch that elastic band and it goes pretty much back to what it was, but over time it can stretch out and not be what it was or snap. And so how do we help people uh, I guess, stay happy and healthy, even though they're doing this amazing work, you can only take on so much. Cause I kind of talk about like, whether you shop at Home Depot or Lowe's, um, it's a five gallon bucket and it fills up and it, you can fill it, you know, all the negative stuff, or you can have a combination of things, but you have to dump that bucket out in a safe place. So whether you have a coworker you can talk to or a professional, um, you have to, to dump it and get it off of your chest. And, and I'm also a critical incident stress management um, instructor. And so that's another piece is after an incident, talking about it within those research says within the first 72 hours is critical. And it's, it's, you know, that was one thing I actually talked about to people in Ghana was, yeah. you know, I, I actually taught the, the compassion fatigue over there and, you know, uh, it's not as common that you would talk about your problems in public. And and I think that also is a correlation between the public safety uh, community. They are less likely to want to talk about it <laughs> um, because it's seen as, you know, maybe it might be seen there's stigma. There's, you know, um, we look at that population as they're, they're the first responders. So who's 911 for 911? And I do think it's important for us to dump, you know, 
dump out those negative emotions so we can process and, you know, stay happier in our lives. I think that's very important what you're bringing up because you talk about the metaphor of dumping. And I love that metaphor of dumping because half of the time, the stuff that we hear uh, through social media or wherever, it's misinformation anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it's designed to stress us out and in, in a negative way to create distress because you have that feeling of a loss of control. So I really love your metaphor of dumping. In other words, you're telling us that what we need to do is to take control. Mm-hmm. limit some of this this stuff that we take in vicariously huh absolutely i mean you know i i tell people it isn't like if someone keeps running they run on patients and it's the same patient you know maybe cycles through all the different shifts right it, or they see them frequently yes the position that that you know as the first responder you're not responsible for what happened in this person's life and they're struggling because all they know is the resource to call 911. So we come in as crisis interventionists and and are helping them. You know, we're we're all together uh, part of the puzzle. You know, I, a, a doctor isn't going to do open heart surgery, uh, or the doctor would do open heart surgery, but they wouldn't necessarily have been there uh, transporting the person to the hospital, right? We all have a role to play. Uh, just as if I was doing first aid and doing chest compressions, I'm not doing the open heart surgery. I'm not a doctor. So we all have a role. And the other piece of that is what's been going on in this person's life isn't isn't our responsibility in the sense we don't have to take the entire burden of that. I think that's another thing that it, I think people are feeling they have this burden. And when that burden gets too heavy, particularly first responders are more likely to die by their own hands than in the line of duty. And so we have to be very cautious and careful of letting that go. Like I said, it's an occupational hazard in the caregiving, no matter if I think pre pandemic, uh, they said 65 million Americans were taking care of a family member Mm -hmm. and they weren't taking care of themselves. Like how many of us could say, you know, we've postponed our own personal appointment, a doctor's appointment, a dentist appointment, because we had to take care of somebody else. And so that's another part of it, right, is that we have to make sure we're taking care of us so we can do the good work and continue that. But we do need, like, I encourage people to have um, a work spouse. And what I mean by that is that person has your back, right? They've got Tylenol, they got a coffee or a cup of tea for you. Um, you know, they can vent with you. Um, and and I know it sounds cruel to say, crude to say dumping, but it is dumping and letting it go. It's not bringing it back in your bucket. Um, it's, you know, we can only have so much bandwidth and space for things. And we try to fill those with the good. Because, you know, we could all, we probably all have experienced something in our careers where we could ruminate and think about it and it could really ruin our day. Um, but I choose, you know, every morning we make a choice, right? I, I look in the mirror and I say, you know, if I say today's going to be a bad day, today will be a bad day, right? I'm willing that to happen to me. If I say, I'm going to, I know I have a lot to do, but I'm going to take it as an opportunity for myself and I'm going to enjoy it. It's going to be a much better day. Also, you could say, I've never seen a mirror I didn't like, you know, (laughs) so you can (laughs) feel free to use that one as your um, affirmation. But yeah, I think I think it's important, our attitudes and living with intention. 
And that's, I feel like there's a lot of cross over between the work that I've heard of yours and what I try to emulate out there too, when I'm talking to folks. You've got a big heart and I love that about you. Guys, can you see the heart that she's got? That oh, she's I do. Heard? I mean, it is <laughs> Valentine's coming on and Denise is right in there like a dirty shirt and I love it. And then, <laughs> the thing is that when you use the word dump, my sense of humor got the better of me. And you know, you talk about having a good dump. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was the, you can't do that when I'm drinking a, a tea. <laughs> well, maybe you should. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You stopped doing the coffee. Okay, fine. But you know, my sense of humor, guys, gets better of me. I think, yeah, that's a healthy dump. And maybe they need you to understand that to have a healthy dump, you need fiber. To have the fiber in your system, maybe you need to establish boundaries. And I think that's. Yes. That's such a crucial point you just brought up in the metaphor of a dump that we need to demarcate boundaries. I love that idea of a work spouse, someone whom you can connect with, who can keep you grounded. But yes. into that, I think boundaries and being aware of your limits. And I think that's what you're talking about, too, is that it's mm -hmm. important for us to know, OK, this is my bit. I can do this portion. Now someone else needs to take take the ball and go with it, you know, and that's hard. And it lifts the burden off of the caregiver, right? Or the, you know, the, the provider, because we can't do everything. Like if we, I mean, we'd be living each other's lives if that was the case. And we just can't do that. Um, and that there's that ownership for that person. So I teach on motivational interviewing and that's critical, right? Is uh, it's you're not making choices for people. You're kind of laying out a menu of options sometimes. If someone clearly says to you, I have no idea what to do. That is so tempting for us to want to go fix it, right? We're like, ooh, I'm going to fix it. But if we do that, we we basically are showing the person, here's the fish, not teaching them how to fish, right? We, we need to be able to allow that person to live their life. And it's so important when you have, if you don't have a work spouse, I'm going to tell you, start courting somebody, all right? You got to work on that. That's your homework. <laughs> because... Okay. Yeah. If, and, and, and that also gives you some delineation between your work life and your home life. Cause when you go home, it, sometimes you just don't like, I remember my dad, you know, working all day, come home and my mom was excited to talk to him about his day. And he would say, I just don't want to postmortem on it. You know, it was a bad day, but if it was a good day, he'd want to talk about it. And so understanding those boundaries, you know, I saw how my parents were and my mom would know, okay, well, I'm, I made your favorite dinner or this is going on today. And, um, you know, it would, it would help lift his spirits, right. That my mom saw that as part of her, um, you know, her work, uh, working in the, in the home, uh, was to help my dad also, you know, kind of shift gears and be present when he was, you know, off work. <laughs> so that, that's brilliant what you're just sharing with us, because what you're talking about as well is you're hitting a, a nerve with me because we're talking about couples now. And, mm -hmm. you know, the issue is you come home, you're tired. Uh, the one spouse invariably will say, talk about it. Let's me hear about your day. But then if you had uh, a work spouse, to use your metaphor, then you can leave work at work at, and come home and be present for your family. And yeah. that I think is really crucial. Yeah. I, I mean, of course we are the same person, right. In that sense, we can't have it too compartmentalized because they both inter inter um, I guess not interfere is a good word, but they, 
they, they kind of influence they, the other, right? Yeah, they're in, yeah, absolutely. And and for us to say, you know, separate your lives totally is impossible. In fact, that would be really setting us up for failure. So if we can look at it in a different way with a different attitude and a more positive, you know, like to practice positivity, it really helps us look at things in a way where it's okay for us to have a bad day sometimes, right? It's okay for us to have emotions and let that out. We're human. You can't do this work without it. You know, to be happy, I underscore the point that we have to be unhappy at times. We have to embrace all that life gives us, some of which is terrible. But happy people, the research shows, know how to bounce out of it. You know, and so they can connect with other people. And you're right. I mean, you you come home, you're still the same person, but you can ask. uh, I can't talk about this right now. Can we talk about it later? But you have decompressed as well so that you can focus on what's at what's on the menu to use. Yeah. As a kid, I loved Mr. Rogers. And so I kind of I, I, you know, with no permission, of course, from his uh a state, I just said, there's like, I have a Mr. Rogers theory. And that is that when we engage with work, we have, you know, what did Mr. Rogers do when he came into the neighborhood? He would take off his blazer and his fancy shoes and put on sneakers and a sweater. I think that his mother knitted, which is adorable. And he would engage with his audience, right? And they would have in the land of make-believe and do all that. But then when he'd go back to work, he would put back on that suit jacket and those fancy shoes and go about his day, his work day. And I kind of try to create that for myself. What's my threshold? More difficult when you are, I have some of my jobs, I work at home. And so I have to, I have a three-story house and I have my office is on my third floor and my kitchen is on the second. So I almost physically have the steps as my threshold. Um, But when I go and do the work, like for Chandler Fire Department or go out into the community for Banner Health, I, you know, I wear different clothes and I represent myself in a different manner. I wear a a uniform for Chandler. I have my business attire for Banner. So you're able to kind of shift gears that way. Um, And it's, it's useful. So I don't know about you, but I love it when plans cancel because I get my jammies on and I have a cup of tea and I can read a book and it's all is good, you know? (laughs) Or watch some Netflix. I think Netflix, we're missing an opportunity. I just want to say with Netflix, have you ever been watching something and Netflix will say to you, are you still there? Like, have you been binging something? No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think it's an opportunity for them to do like a check welfare, you know, like, hey, are you still there? Have you eaten? Have you, you know, (laughs) have you uh, taken a shower today? Right. Things like that. So um, you'll have to watch. uh, Clearly, you have not been a couch potato enough um, to sit there and get the uh, (laughs) the message. (laughs) What you're sharing with us is the psychological flexibility. That's what you're teaching us right now. And I love that because what you're telling us, and I do the same thing in my work, so I can, it resonates what you're talking about is the ability to flip, to to move with what's in front of us, to be aware of our limitations, and then to seek help if necessary. Absolutely. And some, you know, not a lot of times people come to me and they'll say, but I'm not suicidal. And I said, and you don't have to be to, it's, do you, I use the analogy of our vehicles. Do you get your do you get your car service? Do you get an oil change? Do you rotate the tires? And I go, yeah, yeah, I do that. Why don't we do that for ourselves? It's preventative work, you know? And so 
you know, to talk to somebody to, um, it, you don't have to be at the level of, I'm feeling like I'm going to end my life. It's that I need to talk to somebody because I'm not enjoying things like I used to. I don't find joy anymore. And when we're losing that joy, that's when we really want to reach out and talk to somebody, you know? So we're talking here about the, about your being an advocate for mental health. And I think that's so important because you're also saying that there's still a stigma and you're right. And mm -hmm. post pandemic, I've noticed that in my research that my numbers for depression and anxiety have risen exponentially. And we're seeing that is exactly what the trend is. I see Chandler as like a microcosm of the rest of the state and my calls would Domestic for a little while, um, we had a dip in domestic, you know, for about about a month and then it rose up again. So domestic violence, domestic disputes, depression, anxiety, not only for adults, but particularly for children, adolescents. Um, and that unfortunately, I think we're number one in the world for depression. So what does that say, you know, about our society? Um, you know, we're, we've got to look at how are we seeing things and how can we put even sometimes it's looking at a, with a different lens, you know, how can we appreciate someone in a different way? So, yeah, I, I love kind of looking at that, giving yourself permission to let go of some stuff that really doesn't belong to you anyway. Um, and then, and again, to mention motivational interviewing, it's lifting the burden. Like someone asked me, Oh, do you teach a class on decision-making? And I said, yeah, it's called motivational interviewing <laughs> and it's going to lift the burden off of you and give it to the person that they're, it's their life um, because we got enough on our own plate, you know, and if we can help navigate for others and get them to a space where they can then start doing that themselves and, and then they own their success as well. Right. That is huge. I don't know about you, but I'm sure you've had clients say to you or patients say, Oh, it's all you. And it's like, as, as nice as that is, I, it's, this is yours. Like this recovery is yours. You've been the one that is doing this. I've been here for the, you know, to alongside of you, but it's fascinating what you've been doing for yourself. So that's part of it. I think, um, you know, I have a friend who I've been kind of just, you know, as we counsel our friends sometimes, but she's been suffering and she always looks at the past and I've been really encouraging her to enjoy the present moment. Like if she's hanging out with friends and family, enjoy that time. Don't think anticipatory stress, right? Oh, I have to do this or I have to do that. In fact, changing our have to do's to I get to or I want to even has a psychological impact on us. And so it's that's, again, that practicing positivity. It's small little tweaks and changes to how we speak. Um, I did that even with uh, police and fire. I, you know, they would say they would deal with a patient and I'd say, what can you imagine going home and saying, I will deal with you later to your loved one <laughs> versus I'm working with a patient. You know, it makes a big difference in our attitudes towards them and how they see us. Absolutely. And the over overarching theme of self-compassion, because we tend to guilt ourselves if we take care of ourselves first. And I say, and I, this is what I teach, 
if you can't take care of yourself, how can you be compassionate towards others? So start with yourself. Start yeah. doing something like taking a walk out in nature, in the pouring rain, and tell me what you notice with your five senses. Yeah. Or before you eat a good meal, look at it with your five senses. Do we have to do this right away? Can we just pause, put a pause on it, and look, and smell, and sound, and what's the crack? Oh, that's French fries. All right. <laughs> Not you know, I'm Pavlov's dog, I'm salad salivating, but you know, getting people in touch with the five sensory modalities that we're gifted with and experiencing what Dasha Kelter talks about when he says the experience of awe. Or yeah. or you know, being able to be aware that we can suffer from post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. we can suffer from it. We can be uh -huh. we can be ingenious survivors. Put our hands up like that and say, you know, it's like a, you know a marathon. You know, I run and I won. You know, <laughs> and I am experiencing growth and not just across the belly. All right, I'm actually growing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that, and it's just it changes. I think it's being present. It's like you said, your senses connecting with that. Um, not just taking pictures of all of our food, but actually <laughs> enjoying it, slowing down. It's just <laughs> one sensory. Well, maybe the hands do, I don't know, but just a sensation, you know. I love this. I mean, you know, they well, have it yeah. right. You know, when they eat, it's not manja, manja, but they're stopping and they're looking and they're tasting. And, you know, it's fabulous. When I lived in, in Ireland, I mean, you would get a table in a restaurant for the night. It wasn't just for an hour. Like here in the U.S., we have a tendency to get you in and get you out, right? And we eat faster. Whereas in Europe, the lifestyle is a little bit more laxed and you have conversation and, you know, enjoy your food. Um, and I think it's actually better for you as well. Your system will appreciate it far more than if you're wolfing it down. <laughs> But that's a very important point because it comes back to what I was talking about with Toby just a week ago, namely uh, connection. Mm -hmm. We need that connection. It, that it, is it's, in our, it's, it's in our DNA. Okay. Yeah. If we can't have connection, we're going to be falling prey to the epidemic of loneliness. Yes. And it's huge. I mean, you talk about Ireland, Theresa May discovered and created the Ministry of Loneliness way before the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what I'm, I mean, we're seeing is when I, 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 when I would talk about communication, we have poor communication, our relationships go away. Right. And, and, and we have, we have breakups, whether they be friendships or rom romantic relationships. And so that connection and communication, I'll, I'll hear from somebody, they'll say, oh, well, I texted that person one time and they didn't get back to me. So I'm not going to reach out to them again. What? Well, who knows what was going on in that person's life at the time? You know, I said, reconnect, try to see what's going on. Maybe, the, you know, they, they need you right now, you know, and you need them, obviously, because it's on your mind to connect with them. You miss them. And it, sometimes it's hard for people to acknowledge that, you know, that I need that, that level of connection. Um, so, yeah, those are things that, you know, for me, I, I try to disrupt our negative thinking, right? And I try to focus on the positive. I, when I went to school in Ireland, I was called Pollyanna, they, the, one of my professors there, you know, and I said, I don't see it as a negative. I really do try to live most of my life in the positive. Have I experienced some difficult things? Absolutely. Um, and there's a time and a place for me to um, experience those. But I really do every day try to um, act with intention of how I can make 
one, my, my family taught me, uh, my parents were like, if you find something, you want to leave it better than uh, the same or better than it was right before you came into its uh, space. So I, I try to apply that to my life with people as well in the work that I do. And you're a very good example, actually, the personification of resilience, because your life is not a simple one. But you've learned what Tadeshi and Calhoun talk about, post-traumatic growth, that you've embraced the negatives and you've been able to reframe them and become a better person. It's transformed you and your progress through life. So on that happy note, we will have to end. But, that was so fast. That was amazing. <laughs> but that's what happens when you're having fun, I think. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. But uh, I want to express my profound appreciation to you for sharing your nuggets along the way with us. Well, thank you so much for thinking of me to be a part of this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining this discussion on happiness. We hope this helps to inspire you to lead a more joyful life. To dive deeper into the subject of happiness, be sure to check out Dr. Nihal's book, Happy is the New Healthy, available as an ebook or hardcover. For additional resources, visit our website at drnihal.com. Until next time, stay happy.